Hello everyone, my name's Aidan. Welcome to another episode of our podcast, Behind the Scalpel. In today's episode, we'll be discussing some interesting and novel biochemical technologies, as well as what life is like as an intern with an interest in surgery. We're very excited to have Dr. Wasim Awal joining us in the studio today. Dr. Awal is a PGY1 doctor at GCUH, which is the Gold Coast University Hospital, and graduated from Griffith University Medical School last year in 2020. He has a passion for many things outside of surgery, notably including videography and biomechanics. These interests have culminated in his YouTube channel, and the name of the channel is Curious Doc, and you already know the drill. Go ahead, like, comment, and subscribe. Thanks for joining us today, Wasim. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Aiden. So to get things started, could you please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, if there's anything you'd like to add to that very brief introduction? Cool. Um, so I think you hit the nail on the head. I'm a intern. I have an interest in orthopedics um, and it's a bit surreal sitting on the other side of this podcast, um, having been involved with surgery for many years uh, in med school at Griffith University. Um, the interest in surgery began when I was in first year. Um, I, I got a mentor through the surgery mentorship program um, and that mentor, Prof Bindra, he allowed me to watch some of his surgeries. Uh, I clearly remember the first surgery I watched, which was a um, palmaris longus tendon transfer to the abductor pollicis brevis muscle to restore abduction in a patient with advanced carpal tunnel syndrome. So this patient couldn't, before the surgery, couldn't tie, his, tie her own buttons, couldn't pick up a cup of coffee, couldn't do basic things we take for granted. And I was just amazed at how... Um, this simple surgery, this relatively simple surgery had restored her quality of life and function. Um, so ever since that, I've been doing a lot of research in orthopedics. Um, just what else? Um, yeah, a lot leadership things. So surgery, been involved with ASSA too. Um, and I've also made this YouTube channel in the past few months Um talking more about this like orthopedic thing, these orthopedic things, because I just find it so interesting. Mm. Wow. So you started pretty early as well. Um, that sounds, that's, that's a quite a, quite a journey uh, to get to where you are. So you mentioned that uh, you started doing some research during medical school. Are you doing any research currently? Yep. So I have a couple of projects at various stages of completion. Um, the one that's pretty much done awaiting uh, publication is one on uh, the role of using calcium phosphate in filling drill holes in bones after hardware removal. So in, in particular, what, what, what we're looking at is um, the ulnar bone. So often we put, uh, sorry, surgeons put plates on their ulnar bone, but because it's so superficial on that subcutaneous border, it can irritate the person. Um, in which case, uh, removal that that hardware is indicated. Uh, the only problem is when you remove the hardware in such a small hole, uh, s such a small bone, uh, it leaves big holes, 
And that those big holes act like stress rises, which can predispose the bone to fracture or refracture. So the idea of the project was to look into the use of bone cement that we use for um, filling uh, gaps made by tumors or other various applications in orthopedics, but using it for a, a novel indication, which is to fill those uh, screw holes and see if it increases the immediate strength uh, in sore bones. So we use sore bones, which are like a synthetic uh, bone model. And we, we partnered up with the engineering lab at Griffith University um, and used their uh, machinery, which basically tested the bones in torsion. Um, and so we just looked at controls with um, unfilled drill holes, um, controls with no drill holes at all, and then controls with the drill holes filled with calcium phosphate. And we found a, because um, a, we, we've used a very small sample size, we found a uh, increase in the strength, but it wasn't a significant increase. Uh, and so the next step was to increase that sample size and use animal bones as a substitute. Do you want me to elaborate just quickly on the other ones? Yeah, that'd be <laughs> great. Yeah, uh, sorry, that was a bit long-winded. That's okay. Um, in in terms of the other projects, I I did a meta-analysis and systematic review um, on uh, the use of opioids in osteoarthritis, and that was through the University of Sydney. That was a summer scholarship, and that only got accepted for publication in the MJA a couple of weeks ago. So pretty happy with that. Um, and then the third project, which is an up and coming project, I can't speak too much about it, but just very basically, it's looking at, um, LIDAR scanners on iPads, which are these, it's like your, it's like a camera, but you sort of, uh, move around and it creates a 3d model of an object that you're recording with the camera. So it uses some sort of, um, signal to detect how far the object is from the camera. And uh, we're using that LiDAR scanner to detect rotation in fingers. So when they're fractured, fingers are fractured, they can often be rotated, uh, which is one of the indications for surgery. So uh, we're looking at if we can detect subtle rotation or if, if it's better than um, just just the naked eye. Mm, wow, that's very interesting uh, projects you have ongoing. And congratulations on the publications. Thank you. Um, was the rotational, the torsion of the bone project related to the uh, conference presentation you had last year at Queensland Surgical Interest Conference? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. So it's like a continuation of that? It's, that was the oh, project the that took a, a long time to get to like even get to the stage of publication. So when I presented that poster, I had probably just began writing it. Um, and now we're in the publication stage. So, I mean, that just gives you an idea how long it takes to mm. get these projects f done from start to finish. Mm. All right. Um, so to move on uh, a little bit, you, we, we've been talking a little bit about uh, the medical technology. You mentioned LIDAR. Um, could you talk us a little bit about, talk us through some medical technology uh, you've used or researched or just come across that really piqued your interest? I know you mentioned the LIDAR. Um, is there anything else perhaps? Um, I, I noticed also on your YouTube channel, uh, you were talking about robotic surgery, specifically knee surgery. 
and some piezoelectric technology. Uh, could you explain that to us and the listeners? Yeah, sure. Um, so Aiden, by no means am I an expert in orthopedic technology. Um, I just find various things interesting and I, I look into them. Um, but from what I do know, um, the I guess the, the three things or the two things you asked were about the the pizza or piezo electric surgery and the um, robotic surgery. Is that right? Right. Yeah. And then I also made a video on osseo integration, which I also find pretty fascinating. So we can talk about those three. Um, in terms of the pizza electric surgery, um, it's basically a probe that is it's used quite often these days. So it's not it's not like future tech. It's current tech. Um, it's it's a probe that vibrates very quickly. And it causes ultrasonic waves in the tissue that it's being placed in. And the ultrasonic waves have this, you know how like sound waves have a compression and rarefaction where the, the particles compress in one area and expand in the other area. Well, the area of, of uh, rarefaction, the pressure gets so low in that area with the sonic ultrasonic waves, it causes a, causes the, the, liquid to or the the material to vaporize momentarily so that vaporization causes a little bubble to form and this bubble is called a cavitation bubble so this cavitation bubble it vaporizes and then it instantly collapses so because the because you know the sound waves are traveling they're they're continually moving as soon as the compression gets to it it will automatically collapse it will it will condense again and collapse so long story short it causes these cavitation bubbles and these cavitation bubbles release a, a huge amount of energy and destroy tissue uh, in the vicinity of the probe. Um, so it's basically a, a scalpel, but the way it's, it differs from a normal scalpel is that it shows tissue selectivity. So it, it will cut certain tissues and spare other tissues. So you can like set it to just cut soft tissues and it'll just do that and it'll spare all bone or or other tissues that have a different density. Um, it's used a lot in things like uh, um, neurosurgery. When, when they make burr holes, they can, um, they can just cut through the skull without affecting the dura mater or even the brain, right? So you can see how, how valuable that sort of technology can be. Um, the second one was uh, robotic surgery. So um, that, that one I also find extremely fascinating. And there's a lot, there's a, it's, it's being used a lot in hospitals all, over, all around Australia now. It used to be just like private hospitals and now it's like everywhere. It's pretty commonplace. Um, the one I talked about in the video was the Mako robot by Stryker. And in that robot, you basically put in uh, markers into a leg. So this is for a knee replacement. You put in markers in the femur and the tibia and there's a infrared sensor sitting somewhere in the operating room so the infrared sensor is continually detecting the position of the femur and the tibia and then you just have to use a probe with an infrared marker on it to draw over the knee surface and then automatically you'll have a 3d model of the entire knee um, on the screen and even if you move the leg around because you have those markers on the leg it, the model will adjust so it, um, it will uh, reflect how, how you move it. Um, and the benefit is that uh, you can use the 
drills and the saws with like perfect accuracy, almost like one to one millimeter um, or to the point one millimeter accuracy um, because the, the drills and saws will have their own infrared markers. They'll tell you when to stop drilling into the bone. So, or uh, yeah, it'll, it'll just cut off the power to that drill. So you can't drill too much. It'll also tell you what angle to drill at. It'll tell you what uh, depth and um, what rotation to drill with. So um, it basically cuts out all the guesswork. guesswork. Like you still need a surgeon to uh, operate the saws and the drills, uh, but it, it makes it a lot more accurate and it makes the knee repla re replacement a lot more reproducible. So that was the main thing. It doesn't necessarily... Uh, like I said in the video, it doesn't necessarily increase outcomes. It just makes the better outcomes more reliable. So you get overall um, more, I guess, uh, a, a better outcome for more people as opposed to improved outcomes, if that makes sense. So like the, the range is, is, is smaller um, of outcomes. And then the third one is osseointegration. So that one is specific for um, amputees. So prosthetic limbs, limbs in, um, in general, what, what happens is um, the, the classic uh, prosthetic limb is just like a socket. So you put your, say you have a leg stump, you've had a above knee amputation, you put that leg stump in a socket and that socket just ties to the leg and you can just walk with that socket prosthesis. Um, however, this, these new osseointegrated implants they basically are put into the bone and they fuse with the bone. So because the way the um, material is made, it's usually a titanium alloy, uh, it, it fuses directly to the bone without any scar tissue in between. Um, and that's down to the properties of the material that they use. Um, the big benefit of these osseointegrated implants is that... Um, well, one, you don't get the skin problems associated with a socket prosthesis, but also you get um, you get things like sensation back. You get a certain amount of sensation back because if you imagine when you walk, you're producing vibrations and you're you're sort of you, you're getting feedback through your leg from the ground. So people with osseointegrated implants get that feedback from the ground. They can feel the vibrations travel up their prosthesis into their into their bones and their soft tissues. So basically all their sensors in their stump is still working. So they're picking up all those vibrations coming through the implant and you get, you, they can tell if they're walking on sand, uh, hardwood floors, carpet, whatever. And that helps with um, uh, falls risk, so it reduces falls risk and just improves quality of life in general. Wow. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> you said you're not an expert, but I would say you're very well researched uh, in these. So I guess Pizer, the, oh, sorry, I've been uh, pronouncing it wrong. How did you say it again? Pizzo. Pizzo electric. Uh, that technology is basically like an ultrasonic knife. Correct. I guess. That's interesting. And um, the robotic, I was thinking about it while you were talking uh, about the robotic surgery is there a risk of surgeons or at least part of their part of the duty of surgeons becoming obsolete mm. with that so that is a common question um 
But in my opinion, and in the opinion of many other surgeons, it seems, um, it's very far from happening. Um, the reason is because the surgeon is still making a lot of active decisions during the surgery. Um, in the, the robotic knee replacement, um, there's a lot of factors like the um, amount of varus or valgus um, tilt in the cuts or the uh, placement of certain implants like of the cuts is ultimately up to the surgeon. The, you, the surgeon will put those numbers in into the system and the system will guide the cuts, but ultimately it's the surgeon making those decisions. Um, and it's still yet to get to the point where um, a robot can completely replace a surgeon because there's so many other factors involved with operating. Um, like, you know, just even exposing the patient, opening it up, um, and then navigating all the soft tissues. A robot isn't great at. You need cameras that identify a nerve, that will identify a blood vessel, that will uh, make sure it doesn't hit those things um, to a very high degree of accuracy before it's, it replaces the surgeon. Um, all, the sur all the robot here is doing is telling you what angle to cut and where the bone stops, basically. So, you know, it, it knows the, where the joint is in space, right? So it knows where to start and where to stop the cut. But then it can't tell you how to get there or it can't tell you um, which angle is best for this patient or what sort of limb lengths they're aiming for, that sort of thing, right? That's all surgeon discretion. Mm. And the last thing I wanted to ask you about uh, with re is regarding the osseo integration. Um, since you're implanting the prosthesis directly into the bone, is there an increased risk of infection with that? Yeah, so that's a good question, especially because the implant is actually going through the skin. So it's called a stoma, just like when you have a bowel stoma. Um, that implant is in the bone and then it pierces the skin. So there is a theoretical risk of osteomyelitis for these patients. Um, but the uh, I, I guess the orders for the patient will always have um, regular cleans and it has to be washed like multiple times a day or even, you know, once a day, but just very regularly and very thoroughly. Um, and there's certain other precautions they take when doing it. But yes, there is a theoretical increased risk compared to a um, socket prosthesis. Mm. And I suppose the management from the patient side with uh, cleaning that would be similar to like an external fixator? Mm. So an external fixator is not a lifelong thing it stays there oh, for yeah. a few weeks so the pins yeah they they're regularly dressed and they're regularly washed but um i guess it's not as big of a risk when um it's only there for a few weeks and if it's if it's if the indication for external fixation is it's an open fracture then often they're on antibiotic prophylaxis whereas a patient with um, an osseo integrated implant is not going to be on lifelong antibiotics mm. that makes sense we had a really great chat with Wasim, so our conversation will be split over several episodes. If you've enjoyed this part so far, please continue on to our next episode to hear more. Thank you for listening to another episode of Behind the Scalpel. If you want more episodes, 
Search for Behind the Scalpel on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.